I want to talk to you today. We're finishing up this series. It's been titled Go Time. It's a series about us really stepping into the call of God on our life. And so as we're rounding this series out, the message that I want to bring to you today is a message about failure. About failure. Any of you have a fear of failure? (laughs) I venture to say there's probably more people in the room that would say they fear failure than those who say they don't. Uh, Statistically, a fear of failure is one that grips most people. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't have tried more things if you had thought you wouldn't fail. I'm wondering if you wouldn't be at a different place had you thought that you wouldn't fail. And so today, the, the title of the message is this. So what if you fail? So, so what? I, I didn't put any punctuation there because I think there's a couple of ways you can put some inflection in your voice there. One is this. So what if you fail? What do you do next, right? But then there's probably a side of us that needs to be a little bit more like this, which is, so what if you fail? And you're like, oh, but wait a minute. Somehow as Christians we feel like that we've committed the worst of all sins if we as Christians fail. And so today I want to bring you the life of Peter, a man who messed up. In fact, Peter's often been said as he's the one that assures us that in order to follow Christ, you don't have to be perfect. <laughs> he, he reassures us in Scripture that following Christ, the prerequisite for that is not perfection because Peter was, was not perfect. And so today I hope that this speaks to uh, some Christians who've been holding back. Then maybe there's somebody in the room you've been holding back, and if you got down to the heart of it, it's because you're, you're afraid that you'd mess up. You're afraid that you would fail. And there may be some people in the room today that you've given up, and the reason you give up is because you already failed, and you think that that was final. And I want to tell you today that failure is not final. It's just a chapter in your book. It's, it's not the last one. It doesn't have to be. I want to talk to some people who maybe procrastinate a little bit. Oh, I done gone to meddling now, right? There are no procrastinators in the room, right? Nobody that puts that thing off because you just don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. But if you could be assured that it would turn out just fine, you'd go on and do it. But because of the uncertainty, well, I, I won't do it today, but I'll, I'll do it when? Tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it Monday, that's right. And then for that person that you don't even bring yourself to trying, because you'd never try anything unless you were assured that you'd be successful. And can I tell you that if you carry that mindset in life, you will not fulfill the calling of God on your life. And so we want to we wanna look at this life of Peter, and I want to read a a quote to you today. It's about being in the arena of life, that at some point you've got to get in the arena, and you've got to fight. And this is a, a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, believe it or not, and here's what it says. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, 
whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I used to have a, a quote, I don't know where it came from, I, I put it in my Bible, uh, because over the years I tend to weigh a lot of things out in my head. And I put this in the front of my Bible, the one that's missing that if you ever find, by the way, it has my name on it, please bring it back. <laughs> I miss it terribly. It says this, A coward dies a thousand deaths, the valiant die but once. I put that in my Bible because I wanted to remember that I could live life dying those thousand deaths. You know what I'm talking about? The should I, shouldn't I's that you weigh back and forth. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? Those thousand daily dyings. Or if I just do what I felt like was in my heart, that win or lose, I'd be better for it. And I want to tell you today that I believe that that is what Peter shows us. But as we go through this life of Peter, I actually don't want you to focus on Peter. I want you to, fa I want you to focus on what Jesus does in Peter's life. Because Peter's going to mess up. But I don't want you to focus on Peter, the guy who's messing up. I want you to focus on what Jesus does when he confronts someone who messes up. You got your assignment? Amen. Say, I got it. I got it. All right, let's go. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to try to move as quickly as possible. For those of you who know the stories, I am going to cover it just a little bit in case somebody's not familiar. I never want to leave anybody behind. So I'm in Matthew chapter 14. And this is the story that the disciples are in a boat and the storms are raging. It says the winds are contrary. You ever ran into a contrary situation or a contrary person? or It's just not going well. Well, the disciples are in this boat and this storm is raging. And it says that Jesus sees them. And then he comes to them and he's walking on the water. And as he's coming close, the disciples are not sure if this is Jesus or not. They think they're possibly seeing a, a ghost. And, and Peter he says in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to him, come. And we all have heard messages preached about how you, you got to get out of the boat. Anybody ever heard a message on that? Countless messages been preached on the fact that, that if you're going to follow God, you got to get out of the boat. Can I draw your attention that Jesus never told him to get out of the boat? Jesus never told him to get out of the boat. That was Peter's own initiative. And I want to tell you that it's not a bad initiative. If you're in a boat that's sinking, you ought to go to Jesus. You, you ought to be looking for a way to get to Jesus. Peter is the one that is willing to sacrifice a sinking boat and to step out on the water. And he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, well, come on. There are times in your life you will have to do things because it's in your heart. God doesn't want to treat you like a slave and tell you every little thing. 
And can I tell you that you don't have to wait for Jesus to call you. He's always calling. All you have to do is say, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, come. come. Who does he say come to? Come, little children, come. Sinners, come. Prostitute and tax collectors, come. Those in sinking boats, just come. Peter steps out. He's doing quite well for a minute, it seems. And then you know what happens, right? He starts looking around at the storms that are going on and he begins to sink. And he's, he feels like he's drowning and he's dying and he calls out to Jesus and he says in verse 30, Lord, save me. <laughs> verse 31. It's my favorite word. I don't know what your translation says, but mine says this. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he took hold of him. I love that. When did Jesus come? It says immediately. Can I assure you of something? That if you are drowning, seriously drowning, and you call out to Jesus to save you, that He'll come immediately. Now there's somebody in the room you said, now I called out to Him and He didn't save me. I don't think you were drowning. You might have been standing in two inches worth of water, <laughs> crying and screaming, believing you were about to die. And when Jesus comes to you, he, he would say to you, it's not that bad. It's really not that bad. Do you know that we live in a culture that's outraged by everything? And for just a moment, can I just say this? Most things are not as bad as you think they are. In most cases, what we really need is for Jesus to come and say, look, it's, it's fine. You're going to be okay. Just keep going. But for the one of you that you really are, you are drowning. And it is that time where you feel like I got one more chance to get my head up. And if I can get my head up above the water one last time, I will cry and scream as loud as I can for Jesus. And I will pray that he will find me. Can I tell you that if you do that, Jesus will come immediately. Amen. He will come immediately and He will save you. And then, hopefully you take those situations in life and you leverage them against whatever else you face in life. Right? right. Say yes, Kevin. Yes, yes. yes, we take... Yes, I will. You take the situations of life and you leverage them against the next thing that comes. If He did it then, He'll do it again. It builds confidence. It builds a reputation with God. And so... Next, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 16. And in this instant, because of Peter's great encounter, it's positioned him for this question that Jesus asks. Here's the question. Who do people say that I am? The disciples begin to answer, and then he looks at them and he says, but more importantly, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter looks back at Jesus and he says, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. That's verse 16 of chapter 16. Jesus looks back at him and he says, Blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal that, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is a good moment for Peter. He's, he's answered the question appropriately. He's the star student. He's the one that on the, the day of the pop quiz, he gets it right. 
And then the conversation continues and Jesus says, almost within the same breath, I'm going to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples. The religious leaders, they're going to kill me there and I'll be raised up to life. And in an instant, this Peter, who got the pop quiz right, grabs Jesus, pulls him off to the side, and he says, oh, may it never be. He says, Lord, that, that just can't happen. He said, God, forbid it, verse 22. Forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And in the turn of a dime, Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Oh. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Peter understood who Jesus was. He's the Son of the living God. He's connected at this one point. But on another point, he is not in the will of God or the agenda of heaven. Can I tell you, that's a lot like life. That there are some things you just get about God. There are some things that come easy to you. That you understand God in those situations. But then in almost an instant, you can be put in another situation and you're actually working for the other team. And he says, get behind me, Satan. It's a lot like life. That sometimes we're right in line with God and sometimes we're actually in line with the enemy. And what Jesus does, he calls him Satan. That's, that's nothing to to dismiss. It's that word, Satan, is often meant as, as accuser. It's meant as one who stirs up trouble. It's one who works against. And he's simply saying, you're, you're working against me right now. And he corrects him. And so Jesus corrects this disciple who has a wrong mindset. Can I tell you that in life, Jesus is more than prepared to correct you when you're wrong? And that it stings sometimes. It, it hurts, but he's wanting to make sure that our mindset matches up with the mindset of heaven. And can I tell you that I'm thankful, <clears throat> that I'm thankful that he wouldn't let me walk through life with a mindset that is not toward heaven, but actually in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. I'm grateful that he loves us that much, that he would correct us. We ought to be saying, thank you, God, that you wouldn't let me continue in a way that's not yours. Now let's keep moving. So he gets through this, and then we're going to go over to Luke chapter 22. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is actually being arrested. And if you know this story, there's this servant. His name is Malchus. Poor Malchus has but one claim to fame. We know very little about him other than Malchus is a servant. They come to arrest Jesus. Here is Peter. He pulls out this sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. Mm. And in Luke 22, when he cuts off this ear, Jesus looks at him and he says, Stop! No more of this. Why? Because Jesus knew that the kingdom of God was not about violence. And instead, he reaches down and he picks up this ear and he, he reattaches it, I guess, to Malchus. Or it says that he touches his ear and he makes it whole. And I'm sitting here thinking, if you're Peter, you probably could get arrested alongside of Jesus for cutting off someone's ear. 
But when Jesus reaches down and repairs it so completely that there's no evidence that there was ever a crime, it's hard to be accused. Can I tell you that that is what justification is? The word justification in Scripture is when God takes you to a place as though it never happened. (laughs) Do you know that when you got saved, that's what Jesus did? He repaired you to such an extent that it looked like it never happened. In fact, as far as it goes with Him, He said, what sin? What, What sin? Now, I know that everybody else keeps bringing up your sin. I get that. More than likely, the people around you keep bringing up your sin. The devil will bring up your sin. But Jesus is the repairer of the ear to the extent that it doesn't even look harmed anymore. And he says, I'll take you back before it ever happens. And there's just one more thing in there. If you're going to follow Christ, despite your best intentions, you're going to hurt some people along the way. Has anybody lived long enough to know that as a believer? Yes, sir. Yeah, older believers, nod your head to the younger believers and say, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to hurt some people. You're going to do some stuff that you wished you hadn't done. You're going to do some stuff that you doggone meant to do. Let's just be honest. And it was wrong. And it hurt some people. But when I see Jesus repairing the ear of Malchus, I see this that God will even step into the lives of the people that we've hurt and heal them. Amen. Mm. That's good. Is that good to anybody That's but me? Good. That's good, Kevin. Because I've done some stuff, and I'll tell you, you can't unring the bell. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. That when I say something, I don't know of a way to retrieve it and get it back. It's a, it's a bell you can't unring. So I, There are often times when we hurt people, we don't know how to fix it. That's when we have to have a Savior who says, I will even step into the lives of the people that you have hurt and wounded by your actions and by your words, and I will heal them if they will but let me. Now, I believe that if Malchus would have pulled back, I don't know if Jesus would have been able to force that ear back on or not. There are some people we hurt, they simply refuse to be healed from it. But I will tell you that if you will let him, And if the person you have hurt will let God, he will heal them. He will heal them of the wounds that even you create. When I look at that, it's like if I wasn't following Jesus before that, I want to follow him now. And then, you think Peter's got this thing figured out. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is moving toward crucifixion. He tells Peter, he says, you're going to deny me three times. Most of you know that story. Peter says, oh no, I'll I'll never do that. So they arrest him. He puts the ear back on Malchus. Can I just bring that up one more time? And a little girl comes up to him and says, I think you're one of his disciples. Oh no, not me. Uh And if you know the story, three more times he denies him. And the thing that I love so much about Luke chapter 22 is it's the only place you see Jesus' reaction. And it's Luke 22 verse 61. And it said the Lord turned and he looked at him. 
He turned and he looked at him. I did an entire message on this. I don't know if you remembered or not. But I asked you to put on your face the look of Jesus after Peter denied him three times. Do any of y'all remember that? I said, put on your face what you think Jesus looked like. Is it a face of anger? Like, ooh, if I could just get out of here and get you. Or, or is it a, a, a look of frustration that says, really, Peter? Really? I mean, after all this, this is how you treat me. What's the look on Jesus' face? And I said it then, and I'll say it now. The look that you see on the face of God after you have made a mistake says everything about who you believe God is. That's good. I want to say that just one more time to let it sink in if I can. Once you make a mistake, the look that you find on the face of God has more to do with you than it does with God. And it has to do with how you believe God is. But you see, I can tell you the look of Jesus because he told Simon before this thing ever happened, in verse 31 he said, Satan's demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus already dropped the conclusion before it ever happened. He said, the enemy is going to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what Jesus is doing for you? He's praying for you. It says it over in Romans chapter 8. It says, who is the one that condemns you? Is it Jesus? It says, oh, no, not Jesus. Jesus is the one who died, who rose again, who is seated at the right hand of God, who is making intercession for you. Do you know when you mess up that Jesus is not standing as the lawyer that condemns you? He's the advocate defending you. Amen. Yeah. That's good, good, right? Yeah, you can clap. That's good. He's the advocate defending Peter. Defending him even before he commits the crime. There's a, a quote I heard it the other day. I believe it's from Joyce Myers. She said, do you realize that God's been loving you before you ever started trying to get things right? Let that sink in. That's how long God's been loving you. Before you started trying to get it right. Yeah, He loved you when you were getting it wrong and good with it. Happy in it. He loved you then. And so, Peter is really destroyed by his actions. And I believe that is why when Jesus is raised on that third day and the disciples are called, his name is mentioned. It says, go get Peter. Why go get Peter? Because Jesus knew Peter's in bad shape. Peter's in bad shape. I need somebody to go get him and bring him back. Do you know that there are countless Christians who are in bad shape? They've been destroyed by the stuff that they thought they were supposed to do, the mistakes that they have made, and they're in bad shape. And somebody needs to run to them. And somebody needs to hear Jesus calling out and says, go get so-and-so. In fact, maybe right now, as I'm speaking, that somebody just dropped into your heart, into your spirit. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, that person's in bad shape. And they need you to go and get them. 
and to bring them back because if not, they might be lost. So he brings them back and he shows himself to the disciples. And you'd think that would be enough, but then one day Peter decides that he's, he's just had enough. It's too much. And he goes back to his old ways. Anybody in here ever gone back to your old ways? You said you'd never do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For any of you who have been recently saved, I, I just want to share something with you. Because oftentimes I will hear someone in that moment of newly being saved, they'll say, man, I just love God so much right now. And I'm like, yes, I know you do. And they're like, I just will never, never go back. And I'm like, I hope you don't. <laughs> And they'll say, I'll never turn from God. I'm just so in love with Him. I'm like, yes, I'm holding my breath. <laughs> and, and, and here's my thing. This is my current strategy, and I may change that along the way. I'm entitled to change my strategy. But when a person is just enraptured with the love of God, I don't want to mess that up. So I want them to have that moment as long as they possibly can. I don't want to be the one that goes and pops their balloon or bubble or whatever it is and just look at them and say, all right, it ain't going to last. <laughs> you know, hey, you just wait. It's coming. I, I, I don't think that person needs that. I, I say enjoy that moment as long as it lasts. But there may come a day where despite your best intentions, Despite the fact that you thought, man, you were so much in love with God, you would never walk away from this thing. You find yourself going right back to what you used to do. Going right back to the things that were comfortable. Why did Peter go back fishing? Because fishing's comfortable. He knows how to fish. You'll, you'll go back to what's comfortable because that's what you know how to do. The question is what happens when that believer who was so in love with God goes back to what they used to do. And what we find is in John chapter 21 that Jesus comes. Mm. I, I just want to soak in this moment for just a minute. If you can, I, I want to. Here is Jesus. Died on the cross for the sins of the world, Peter's included, yours included. Peter has messed up, but God has good plans for Peter and he's got good plans for you. And so what does Jesus do? It's almost like Jesus stops the plan to go get Peter. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of mercy from God. I pray that you have. That kind of mercy that it, it feels like He stopped His plans in order to come get you. Yeah. I mean, this thing was moving, right? He's died on the cross. He's risen on the third day. He's got a, a handful of days, 40-something days, and then He's going to return to the Father. Time is of the essence. If most of us were in this situation, we'd be like, go get Peter. Peter wanted to buy me. He can go get himself. Now, come on. Amen. Right? Yep. Most of us would be like, Peter can take care of himself. He knows where I am if he wants to come to me. In fact, that's been some Christian philosophy sometimes. They know where the church is. <laughs> and you really wonder why nobody comes with that attitude? <laughs> but we'll carry that attitude sometimes. Forget them. 
Just forget them. When you get hurt so bad by a person, the thing you try to do to protect yourself is say, forget them. And you try to move on. But I got good news. Jesus says, I can't forget you. Amen. I, I can't forget you. In fact, if I have to, I'll stop the plan in order to come back and get you. And it feels like he's almost stopping this plan to go meet Peter on the shore. And so he gets to them, and they're out there fishing, and of course they're not catching anything. Can I, can I tell you that if you go back, yeah, you already know, right? Can I tell you if you go back to what you used to do, you won't be good at it anymore. You won't be good at it. It won't produce anything because now you've entered into a new life. It's a spiritual life. And it's driven by the spiritual energy, by the Spirit of God. And when you go back and try to do something in your own nature, you've got the wrong spirit and it just won't work. Yeah. So they're out there fishing, not catching anything. It's a bad day fishing. Some of y'all know about that. And John looks at Jesus, and he recognizes him. John, by the way, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mm -hmm. So the one who knows that he's loved by God is the first to recognize him, just a point for somebody that wants to take that home and soak on it a little bit. It's the ones who love God, they're always the, ones, the first ones to recognize him. John calls him out, and Peter, once again, this time could care less if he's walking on water or not. He's like, I don't care if I'm walking, swimming, it doesn't matter. It says he puts on his garment, he jumps in, and he heads toward Jesus. And it says the other disciples bring the boat. Can I tell you that if, how do I say this? I believe as Christians we ought to be more like Peter jumping out of the boat swimming to Jesus than the ones who are worried about how to get the boat back to shore. But some of us are so inclined that we, we have to figure everything out. We have to put all the pieces together. We have to make sure everything gets done appropriately. Wh who's talking to Jesus? Peter. While the disciples are trying to get the boat back. I think there are times that what Jesus might be saying to us, the Holy Spirit might be saying to us is, let the boat go. Let, let it go. Because you're not fishing anymore. Fishing's not your assignment anymore. Let it go. That thing that's not your assignment, let it go. Be more like Peter. Jump and swim. Amen. And he jumps and he swims. And he gets to the shore and Jesus feeds him. Man, we were just talking about that last week, wasn't we? That when you're down and out, <laughs> Jesus feeds you. Lets you take a nap. Gets you back to where you need to be. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I love you. One more time. Peter, do you love me? Oh, I love you. Peter, do you love me? By this time, it's getting annoying, right? I mean, it's three times. It's three times you've asked me if you love me. Oh, wait, it was three times I denied you. So he's restoring every instant. Yes, every instant. Yes, Can I tell you that he's not going to let anything undone? He's going to restore every instant. Yes, sir. Every failure, he's going to restore it. Everyone, he's going to cover it. And he's covering it by this. Do you love me? Until finally Peter gets to the last of it, and he's just undone. 
And in verse 17, it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. I want to talk to the person who feels like maybe you've lost your salvation. That feels like you're not even sure if you're saved. Can I talk to you for a moment? That person who, and and you may run into it in a moment where you wonder, am I even saved or not? Acting the way I'm acting. Thinking the way I'm thinking. Can I tell you that the key is right here. Jesus, you know I love you. The question is, where is your heart? It's not about how much you're getting right and how much you're getting wrong. It's about where your heart is pointed. And what Peter is saying to Jesus is this, Lord, I have messed up. I keep messing up. I don't seem to be able to get much right. But God, I love you. I love you. And for Jesus, it's enough. You see, what Jesus is interested in is not your record He's interested in your heart. And the way you judge, I believe, whether or not a person has a real relationship with Jesus Christ, it's where their heart is turned. Don't look at how they're getting things right or wrong. Because if you did, Peter sure wouldn't be claimed a disciple. Peter sure wouldn't have been qualified to lead the church. Peter sure wouldn't have been called by a pulpit committee to be a pastor of any church. And yet Jesus says, I want him to lead this thing. Why? Because Peter's heart is for God the whole time. His heart is for Jesus. He wants to do the right thing. You know what? I think I'm in a room full of people that want to do the right thing. I honestly do. In fact, there would be people who would, would listen to this message and say, Kevin, you've made messing up too easy. You, you're going to give people permission to sin. And I use the same comment every time. People don't need my permission to sin. They're doing just fine. People don't need my permission to sin. They're doing just fine without my permission. You know what they need to know? They need to know that God loves them. That's what they need to know. Because you will be held and kept by love, not held and kept in check. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I hear it sometimes. I hear it from young believers and they'll say, I'm just trying to do this. I'm just trying to get it right. I'm just trying to live right. And I want to go up to them and say, I think you should quit. No, honestly. I'm just trying to get it right. I'm just just trying to follow God. And I would go to them and I'd say, "I, I, I just think you ought to quit. Because you're trying to do it all in your own effort. And all of your concentration and all of your time and energy and effort is on you and not on God. It is God, the one who has saved you, who has, who has forgiven you, who is redeeming you. It is Him that you need to be focused on. Quit wasting time on you. Amen. Quit, quit wasting time on you and concentrate on God because here's what happened. He's been loving you a long time. He's been loving you long before you loved Him. And He's been calling to you from His love. And as He calls to you from His love, salvation is that moment where you realize He really loves me. God really exists. He really did send His Son. He really does love me. And at that moment, your heart does something almost involuntarily. (laughs) 
it loves back. That's salvation. When your heart loves back. Not because you scared you down and going to hell. But because love has touched you. And you won't ever be the same. And so then that love that saves you is the love that keeps you. And so it is not about whether or not you get everything right. The question is this. How bad do you want to? And obviously you want to. So then the best strategy is this. Keep your heart connected to the one who has set you free, who has forgiven you, and who is redeeming you. Just a, a few couple of things that I wrote down that I want to share with you. He came to rest, to restore you, not to destroy you. If your mindset is that when you do something wrong, that somehow God comes and is ready to call down fire, I'll remind you when the disciples wanted to call down fire, Jesus said, stop, you don't know what you're doing. Jesus hasn't come to destroy you. He's came to restore you. Amen. He came to rescue you, not to restrain you. There are some people that feel like when they become a Christian that they'll no longer have any freedom, that God's going to take all their freedom away. Can I tell you that when He saves you, when He rescues you, you'll be more free than you've ever been in all your life? Because yeah. He'll set you free from all the things that you didn't know were actually enslaving you. So He came to, re to rescue you. He came to redeem you, not to abandon you. People that are wondering, has God abandoned me? No, He hasn't abandoned you. He can't abandon you. Because it's not in His nature. He's came to redeem you, to buy you back. To, to put you back in the game. He came to answer you, not to ignore you. There'll be times and you'll think, I think He's ignored me, I don't hear Him. And He'd say, oh no, I hear every word. I hear every word you're praying. And most of the time what is happening in those moments of silence, God is getting us to a place where we can actually hear Him. So God is, came to answer, not to ignore. He came to help you and not harm you. And then this one last thing. He came to, Jesus came to demonstrate that God wants to be your father, not a judge. He came to demonstrate to you that, the, that God wants to be a father, not a judge. You see, the, the old covenant says that if you do wrong then you're wrong. And if you do right, you're right. And it's almost like a legal system and God is judge. But when Jesus cut that new covenant on the cross and when Jesus comes, what is He coming to reveal? He's coming to reveal God as Father. That's why when He said, you want to know how to pray? Pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. So Jesus comes to reveal a Father. Now here's the difference between a judge and a Father. A judge... And Kim Wilford is now one of our magistrates. So if you ever see Kim, it's not because you did something right. Because I've never seen anyone brought before a magistrate just because somebody wanted to give them a good congratulations for something. No, you did something wrong. That's why you're there. And they judge the, the wrongness of that act. That's what a judge does. But let me tell you what happened to you when Jesus came. Jesus came to restore, as Leanne said, a relationship with you to the Father. And now, is He still judge? Yes, He is. But guess what? He adopted you and now the judge is your Father and you're His Son. Amen. And I don't know if you know this or not, but fathers treat people differently than judges do. 
Yeah. And so what is God doing? He's drawing you in to realize that he's a father. And so a father looks at a child like this. Those of you who have had kids, when your five-year-old is doing something, you want them to act like a five-year-old, right? You, a good parent will expect them to be able to do whatever five-year-olds can do, not what 15-year-olds can do. If you have a 15-year-old, you can't expect them to be a 30-year-old. You, you take them at every place in their life, and your goal is to move them into more freedom and more self-control and, and being the best person that they can be. Is that right? Yeah. It's amazing, though, when we look at God, we think that at the day of salvation we're supposed to be perfect. And we treat everybody else like they're supposed to be perfect. That's why I love Peter, because Peter has given you permission to mess up. Peter's given you permission to love God and still not get everything right. And again, there'll be people who say, well, Kevin, aren't you giving people permission just to mess up? No, nah, because I tell you what, when I look at you that are in this room today, you're not trying to find a way to mess up. You want to get it right. And I will tell you that when you get it wrong, God will come and he'll even fix your mistakes. Isn't that amazing? Now, you know what that makes me want to do? To the person that says, you just giving people permission to mess up, I would say, if you ever knew the stuff that God had fixed in my life, you would know that it is not giving me permission to go out and do it more. It is encouraging me to do it less. Yeah. Yeah. You see, that's grace. If you've ever tapped into it, you know that when God fixes your mess, like when he goes and gets right in the middle of it and he starts fixing it and working it out, it doesn't make you want to go do more wrong. It makes you love him more. It makes you want to do better. I'm telling you, I'll take a group of people like you that want to get it right but mess up. You guys will do more for the kingdom than people who are just interested in checking stuff off. You'll get more right. So I want to tell you, be more impetuous. That's the word they used to call Peter. Do any of y'all remember that? Apparently they, people don't say that anymore. I see all these no's. Roger, me and you have been in church a long time. We know this. Okay, Peter's known as impetuous. It means impulsive. And I always thought, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a bad thing. Did you take it as bad or good? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I took it as bad. And I even sort of lived my life that way. Don't be impetuous. That's a bad thing. Don't be impulsive. That's a bad thing. I'm going to go against what we were taught for a minute, Roger. I think you ought to be more impetuous. I think you ought to be more impulsive. I think you ought to follow your heart and get out of your head. Because when you're in your head, you're actually probably not following God. But if you'll learn to just trust your heart and go with it, God will correct you. The reason you can't get better at following God is because you won't do nothing. <laughs> Did I just say that? <laughs> Did I? But it's true. Yeah. You're never going to learn because you won't do anything. Just go do something. Be impetuous. 
try to figure out what you think God wants you to do and go after it and let God correct you. It's the only way he can. There are a lot of people that God, I think he sits there and looks at them and goes, I love them. And you're like, well, what are they going to do? He says, right now, nothing. <laughs> now, if I love them, but they're not going to do anything. <laughs> Kevin, you talk to them. See if you can change it. <laughs> so here's what I want to tell you. It's go time. It's time to get in the arena. It's time to get your face sweaty and dirty and bloody and get in the fight. It's time. And the only way to do that is to jump out, is to be like Peter, is to be a little bit impetuous, to be a, a bit impulsive, and to go after God and to trust that God is more than capable of correcting you and thank you, Jesus, even fixing your messes. So I want to encourage you this week. Go pray for a sick person. You're like, man, I sure would love to be able to pray and, and see the sick healed. Well, to do that, you will have to go pray for someone. Yeah. I sure would love to see the dead raised. Think about that just a minute, what you're going to have to do. If you want to see the dead raised, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to go pray for a dead person, right? It's going to put you in an uncomfortable situation. I remember years ago, Katie and some of her friends prayed for a dead person, and, and I thought it was the most amazing thing. And everybody was like, well, did it happen? I'm like, I'm just glad they tried. <laughs> you know, I'm just glad they went for it. They got out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Share your testimony. Tell people what God's been doing in your life. Why are you keeping that a secret? It's too good. <laughs> It's too good. Why are you keeping that a secret? What do you care what they think? They need to hear your story. Tell, tell your story. Pursue the, the call of God on your life. You know what it is. It's nagging you. Do it. Go do it. Will you do it perfectly? No. Let me just set that aside. You're not going to do it perfectly. And then another group will come to me as part of my brothers and sisters and say, well, Kevin, you shouldn't speak that, that, that it's going to go wrong for them. It's, it's how we learn. It's, it's, it's in trying things that we learn. And if you're too afraid to mess up, you're too afraid to try, and then you'll never learn. God is not nearly as concerned about your mistakes as you are because he's confident that he can fix them. He's not nearly as upset about your fear of failure as you are because he knows he can handle it. So I want to ask you to go for it, to take some risk, to step out of the boat, to be impetuous. It's go time. I want you to just stand with me. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to dismiss you. If you need to come down, we'll have some people down here for ministry. Pat, if you'll come. Chris and Kathy, if you'll come and... Bradley, if you'll be over here. We're just going to hang around up here. If you need prayer, if you need to turn your life over to Jesus today, that you didn't take that first step, you, you haven't turned your heart over to Him and received that love, then come down here. Any one of these can do that for you today, help you with that. So let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray for the, the one who has been afraid to step out, not knowing if they'll get it right. 
that, Lord, today they will see you as the God who can turn things and make them right, that you can work all things for good, for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. I pray for those who have been discouraged by the failures in their life, that today, Lord, that you're making all things new, that today's a reset button in life that they can get in the game, try again. Lord, I pray for the person that they, they've had this thing on their heart, but they've been procrastinating for no good reason. They're not waiting on you. You're waiting on them. Lord, for the procrastinator, I pray today for courage to just step out and follow you. Lord, I thank you for this church that as we step out, Lord, this is too big. This expansion thing is, is more than, than we can handle in our own strength. Lord, we, we need you, but we're stepping out. And we're going to trust you to lead us and guide us in the way that we need to go and correct us when we're wrong. And there may be some people that criticize. There may be some mistakes along the way. But God, I just believe you're big enough. I just believe that you're big enough to take us to your purposes in life. To, to redeem us. To, to make something good come of this. And so Lord, we say yes to you. And so Father, as we depart here, Lord, let us go out. And be less afraid of our mistakes and more confident in you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.